0: In a time so defined by conflict, Anna Marie Cox, host of Crooked Medias with friends like these, wants to seek out forgiveness and reconciliation in all its forms. Every Friday, join Anna as she explores questions like what it means to make things right and who deserves to be forgiven. Through this lens, you'll hear the stories of death penalty advocates, family feuds, making peace with the planet, and more. Check out with friends like these wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. New episodes out every Friday.
1: There are so many more Democratic women in state and local office in the year 2021. I'm proud to report New York State ranks 16th in the nation for women serving in our state legislature. Women now comprise about 34% of our state legislature. When Eleanor's Legacy began, New York State ranked 29th in the nation, with about 21% of our state legislature comprised of women. Obviously, there's 15 more spots for us to climb. So we still have some work to do, but we're really proud that we've reached that tipping point.
0: Welcome to Future Hindsight, a civic engagement podcast. I'm your host, Mila Atmos. Our guest is Brett McSweeney, president of Eleanor's Legacy, the only statewide organization in New York focused on recruiting, training and funding pro-choice Democratic women candidates at the state and local level. Now that's a pretty specific mission and I wanted to know how successful this strategy has been in New York State. We discuss the critical impact of local and state elections on our daily lives and the value of electing more women to represent us. In light of recent events and the ascendance of Kathy Hochul as New York State's new governor, this episode comes at just the right time. We start our conversation with how Eleanor's legacy was founded 10 years ago.
1: So, Eleanor's Legacy was founded in 2001 by Judith Hope. We are the only statewide Democratic women's political organization in New York State. We focus exclusively on electing pro-choice Democratic women to state and local office across New York State. Judith Hope is the first woman to have chaired the New York State Democratic Committee. And in her final year of service, a woman named Hillary Clinton decided to run for Senate. Judith, as state Democratic chair, saw the response of women across New York State to even just the idea and the prospect of sending a New York woman to the United States Senate for the very first time. This was in 2000. Judith thought to herself, there's something here. New York had given rise to so many different progressive movements, certainly from Seneca Falls and the women's rights movement, all the way through to the LGBT rights movement and the Stonewall riots, but yet we were underrepresented in elected office. So she knew that if she could combine that enthusiasm across New York's 62 counties with the goal of electing women, that we could change the face of power in New York state once and for all.
0: That's excellent. Thanks for that history on the origin story of Eleanor's legacy. So tell us a little bit about your evolution over the last 20 years, because that's a long time.
1: It is. It is a long time, especially in politics. Um, when we began in 2000, Eleanor's legacy was really just focused on investing in women candidates. The goal was to level the playing field for women candidates by fundraising for them and giving them direct contributions to their campaigns because money talks in, in American democracy. And we wanted to be sure that women that we knew were talented, had great ideas about how to lead their towns and their counties and how to lead an Albany just needed a leg up in accessing the fundraising networks that women so often don't have a chance to access. We're a PAC, we're a political committee. We make direct contributions to candidates, but we have evolved since then. We've included and developed campaign schools where women learn how to run and win and we've developed this network across the state represented by members of our board of directors current and former women elected officials current and former women candidates who are willing to take a phone call and advise women candidates as well so we've really grown a community across these 20 years
0: Tell us a little bit about why you are so specific on funding pro-choice Democratic women, because I think there's a lot of talk that if you're a Democrat, you don't necessarily need to be pro-choice. But why is it so important to you?
1: Right. Well, f- for a few reasons. First of all, we are in the game of politics and to be clear and to be precise is important when you are talking to voters, right? And so we are always lead with, we are a pro-choice democratic women's organization. So no one can make any mistake about what we're about and why we're about it. And in New York state until the year uh, 2019, Roe v. Wade was not codified into New York state law. Those who've been paying attention knew that if anything were to change at the federal level, if there were a case at the Supreme Court that would roll back the protections um, provided to people through Roe v. Wade, that in New York state, we would be vulnerable. And so it's important for us to declare that we are pro-choice democratic women's organization because what we intended to do was to elect women to the state legislature, to the Senate and the Assembly who would fight to pass the Reproductive Health Act, which had languished for decades in Albany under a Republican anti-choice Senate majority until the year 2018 when enough women and enough pro-choice Democrats ran for the state Senate that the New York State Senate was flipped from Republican to Democratic majority for the first time since FDR. And the Reproductive Health Act was introduced under a Democratic majority state Senate and a Democratic majority assembly, and that legislation was passed. And then to the third point, it's important for us to lead with being pro-choice Democratic women's organization, because as you said, A lot of people assume that by being a Democrat and maybe by being a Democratic woman, you are de facto pro-choice and that you support abortion rights. But it's more nuanced than that. To just support abortion doesn't go deep enough to what it means to have equal access to reproductive services, to reproductive health, no matter uh, race, class, gender or geographic location. We are a pro-choice Democratic women's organization for, for those reasons.
0: I like it. It's good to be clear and there's no confusion. (laughs) Just put it up front.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of politics is marketing, right? And catching people's very limited attention span.
0: Yes, just put it there and then people will know. I have a question about why you focus on state and local office. I think for a lot of people, they don't really know why we should be doing that. But tell us why Judith Hope thought this is the way forward.
1: Yeah. So our founder, Judith Hope, was the first woman elected a town supervisor on all of Long Island. And she understood that local office as well as state office serving the state assembly, state senate, is where the rubber meets the road. It's really the level of interaction that most voters have, most constituents have with their elected officials. When you need your road repaired, when you want to build a new library, when you want to add a stop sign at the end of your block. That's the interaction where most people have with their government and it's the building block right in our democracy. It starts at your local level at the town meeting and it builds up to the state Senate and assembly. It builds up to Congress and to D.C. And if you don't have that firm foundation to build the rest of your democracy on, well, it'll start to shake and crumble.
0: So tell us a little bit about your success rate. How many more women are there now in state and local offices in comparison to 20 years ago?
1: Mila, there are so many more Democratic women in state and local office in the year 2021. I'm proud to report that New York State ranks 16th in the nation for women serving in our state legislature. Women now comprise about 34% of our state legislature. When Eleanor's legacy began, New York State ranked 29th in the nation, with about 21% of our state legislature comprised of women. So a lot of people consider 30%, 33% a tipping point. If you can have 30 or 33% of the votes, you're able to tip it in the direction and starts affecting change. Obviously, there's 15 more spots for us to climb. So we still have some work to do, but we're really proud that we've reached that tipping point.
0: That's amazing to go from 29 to 16. So well done. I want to ask you about one of your initiatives, the Baker Project, uh, which works to ensure that every Republican incumbent in the New York State Senate has a Democratic opponent. Why is that important?
1: Well, elections are about choices, right? If only one candidate from one party is on the ballot for one office and they have no opponent, there's not a choice. You're not giving voters a choice. So first of all, just for like Democratic, little d Democratic best practices, we knew it was important to provide voters that choice. But on top of that, it was a special initiative to drive a focus on electing Democrats to the state Senate. Of course, because it was an Eleanor's Legacy special project, the focus was on electing Democratic women to the state Senate. And this was a real fight to flip the New York State Senate from Republican to Democratic control. It had been in Republican majority control since about the FDR administration. And we knew that with the enthusiasm in New York State, in Democratic progressive communities, that was driven by flat out ire and outrage and scorn of the Trump administration. All that attention could be channeled and driven to affecting change in New York state and flipping the state Senate from Republican to Democratic would mean that we would give our legislators in Albany the ability to start passing progressive legislation that had languished for too long and that was now really in jeopardy with the federal government in the direction it was heading in.
0: Thanks for putting those two together um, and connecting the dots. So what has been the impact on governance on New York State politics of your winning candidates, especially after 2018?
1: Well... Top of the list in January 2019, so that's when the state legislative session begins in New York. Eleanor's legacy in coalition with organizations and advocates and voters across the state flipped that state Senate. And we celebrated Andrea Stewart-Cousins majority leadership becoming the first woman and the first black woman uh, to lead the New York State Senate. And so now that meant New York State had the trifecta. Right. We had a Democratic governor and a Democratic lieutenant governor, a Democratic majority Senate and a Democratic supermajority in the assembly we could finally start passing bills. The first piece of legislation that leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins and her Democratic conference introduced were voting rights reforms. So they started passing laws that would make it easier to register to vote, to change your voter registration, to apply for an absentee ballot. The next piece of legislation was the Reproductive Health Act to codify Roe v. Wade in New York State. Um, So flipping the state Senate really created a watershed moment. And there was more. They were able to start beginning addressing climate change, they pass legislation protecting the rights of adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse, and on and on. Tell us a
0: little bit about your process. How do you choose to support and endorse a candidate and and how do you help them?
1: So our process is pretty straightforward, sort of like our mission statement. We have a committee of our board of directors, the endorsement committee that reviews and considers uh, candidates. We have an application process where we ask the candidate to affirm that they are pro choice, that they uphold the tenets of Roe v. Wade, uh, and that they support using federal dollars for women who would otherwise be unable to pay for the reproductive health care. We ask for some Sort of demographics about the race, how large is the district? Who's your opponent? How many lines you're running on? Because in New York State we have fusion voting, so one candidate can hold multiple party lines up here on the ballot more than once. And then the board does some research and some homework, and they make a call to the candidate. They make a call to the candidate's county chair. They try to understand the sort of landscape of the race, what a victory would mean, or even just what a well-funded race would mean for the like dem. Democratic movement in that county. And for the most part, Mila, I have to say that we end up endorsing a lot of the candidates who apply, mainly because it's rooted in our DNA. So many barriers exist between a woman waking up one day and thinking she might run for office and then her getting to election day. And we didn't want to be another barrier. Our, our goal is to reduce and remove those barriers.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So does that mean that you would potentially endorse multiple candidates for the same office?
1: So for the most part, no. We are an organization that primarily does not endorse in primaries because we're statewide, every region of the state is different. The state is not all a democratic hotbed where the race is decided in the primary. Most of the women who come to Eleanor's Legacy, for the most part, are running in the 57 other counties across the state where their race really comes down to November, to the general election. So so really, they need our focus and our help in November. So in that case, we're endorsing just one woman for one office in one race. Uh, In New York, City this year, in the year 2021, they've introduced ranked choice voting. Now, we again, because we traditionally don't get involved in primaries, we as an organization are not endorsing candidates that we have other projects. But we know that ranked choice voting is here to stay in New York City, and so the board is currently evaluating what we would do in the year 2023 when there's municipal elections again for city council. Um, what approach would we take? Would we endorse multiple? Would we endorse a a ranked list? Would we endorse just one? So to be determined.
0: Okay, great. So this is uh, the perfect setup for my next question. How did your candidates do last year in 2020? And what did you learn from that cycle about how you want to change moving forward?
1: So, overall, last year in 2020, even though it was a pandemic year where running for office was harder than it had ever been, Eleanor's legacy still maintained our average of about a 50 55% win rate, which we're pretty pleased with. If we were a Major League Baseball team and that were our batting average, it would be unbelievable. We'd be Hall of Famers even before we retired. And on top of that, however, 2020 was an unbelievably challenging year. And what we learned from it as an organization and as a part of the Democratic women's movement out there, is we need to really focus as much as we can on creating these opportunities to like really create community. In March 2020, when the pandemic really took hold of New York, we had candidates we were already working with who were running for state senate and state assembly across the state. and They instantly had to pivot. To how are they going to help their communities survive the next few weeks or months, in addition to running for office? And in traditional candidates' day running for office, she spends significant hours on the phone fundraising, dialing for dollars, right? If she's in the city, she spends significant time standing at a subway stop, greeting commuters on their way in the morning and on their way out at night. Uh, and all of a the sudden, these candidates couldn't do that. They didn't think it was right to um, be. Focused on their campaign when they saw food lines growing outside their window in their community. And these were women running for office because they wanted to serve, right? And officially they wanted to serve in Albany, but who they wanted to serve were their neighbors. And so they put their campaigns a little bit on hold while they figured out how to respond to the emergency of the pandemic. But what we learned is how to therefore then be there in a metaphysical sense uh, for the candidates, we held weekly Zoom calls where they could just come and like no makeup required, dial in and just be themselves and ask each other questions and learn from each other about how they navigated that very challenging week and share resources that each other had learned about. What was powerful was this ability to bond um, with each other and to use technology to do it. And to not let the vastness of New York state be a barrier to women from each corner learning from each other, because these women won they went on to Albany, but I would get text messages and pictures of them together where they'd only met on Zoom during the year. And now here they were together in the Capitol doing the work that they'd talked about all last year.
0: I love it. That's great. Uh, Building community is so important. And I think that was even more so important in the last year with the pandemic. Although I will say I was very impressed by voter turnout despite the pandemic. You know, I think we don't give ourselves enough credit as Americans that so many people actually turned up um, and voted.
1: Yeah, well, fire in the belly and loathing the president or loving depending on your perspective, is a powerful motivator. But that's always what we come back to though at Eleanor's Legacy, right? As people turned out to vote and those lines were unbelievable. I I went the first day of early voting in my neighborhood at St. John's Rec Center in Crown Heights. um, And I had to come back to my apartment. I saw so many of my neighbors online. I thought, well, I'll just go back and do my laundry since nobody's in the building. And I'll like go back another day because everyone showed up at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning. But like the kicker about it is there were important races absolutely happening for state Senate and Assembly. But really, it was just that we wanted the Trump administration gone, right? But for me, as somebody who has focused on state and local office, it always leaves me with this like question of, now how do we direct all of that energy (laughs) to the mayor's race and to the city council and to state senate and to state legislature and to county office? How do we really make our votes count? So Um, what are your thoughts on that 20 years later? You would think I'd have the answer, right? So in 2018, we were able to do that. We were able to channel that like so you don't like what's happening in D.C. Let's figure out how to how to fix Albany. And, And that was what helped us flip the state Senate. Right. Where these newly activated, newly animated, newly angered New York City voters and donors Um, And the lesson I learn over and over again is that it's repetition. Each time we think at Eleanor's Legacy or some peer organization in the movement, we think we've made our case about why state and local matters. There's always some voter who just turned 18 or some person who finally gets it something really hit home for them, whether it's their job or immigration status it's of someone they love or they had a terrible experience with the healthcare system in the United States, something triggered them and they realize that they want to do more and that they should do more. And so we always just have to be repeating ourselves and finding the energy to make the case again and again that we're here. <laughs> this matters. And if you really want to make change, join us at the state and local level and trickle up rather than be the four millionth person in New York state to cast your vote against Trump.
0: Yes, I know. I think that makes a lot of sense. I like it. I mean, it's true, right? You repeat yourself. So hopefully, if they didn't catch it the
1: first time, they'll catch it the 10th time or the 20th yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> like back to the marketing <laughs> concepts, right? Like, why do I see the same commercials over and over again? Yeah, so it like drills into our
0: lizard brain. <laughs> exactly. Before we continue our conversation, I want to share about The Civics Club. It's our Patreon subscription page that gives you bonus content, early access, and transcripts. Every week, you can hear more about our conversation with our guests. And this week, we hear how Brett got involved with Eleanor's legacy first as a volunteer, and now she's leading it. Check it out by heading over to patreon.com slash futurehindsight. For just $5.99 a month, you can support our indie podcast and most importantly, become part of the Future Hindsight community. We pour our hearts and souls into the show to bring you eye-opening and thought-provoking conversations with citizen changemakers every week and to inspire you to participate in this democracy. Please support our show on Patreon. Thank you. So this seems like a really basic question that comes a little bit delayed, but what is the value of having women in office? Because I think this is also often lost. And of course, since I'm a woman and you're a woman to us, that's obvious, but this bears repeating.
1: Why not? Right? Men have had millennia to show us what they can do. And here we are. The drought that's gripping the the West, the riots that overwhelmed our capital, the failure to address the original sins of our country, it's our time. Give us a shot. How bad could we do? We don't even have to like get into theory about feminism, right? We teach children to share um, and to take turns. So why can't grown-ups? But on top of that, of course, there is theory <laughs> and there are results. And we're seeing it in, in New York State under the leadership of Andre Stewart-Cousins in the State Senate, and with the increasing number of women in, in Albany reaching that tipping point, And with a woman Lieutenant Governor and a woman Attorney General, we're seeing legislation that literally never saw the light of day when women didn't have as prominent a role, let alone leadership positions. The package of bills that were passed this year that increased funding for public schools across New York State. As I said, in 2019, the first bills they passed were about voting rights, followed by reproductive health rights, followed by criminal justice reform. And so the pace of change, has really quickened and it's gotten however you want to define it, more progressive, more woman friendly, smarter, better overall. And National statistics bear that out that when you have women in increasing numbers in legislative bodies, that more compromises are reached and the number of bills that are passed increase. Yeah, that's terrific. So
0: tell me, what is a healthy political landscape in New York state for you, in your mind?
1: That's a good question. That's a question I've never been asked before, Mila. A healthy political landscape in New York state would mean that we have voter turnout in excess of, I think it was about 20%. I would like to see that number increase significantly. I don't know unless we were to get to mandatory voting that we would see huge numbers, but I think we could reach that tipping point. Let's make that 20 into 30% and see what the results are. I would like to see a woman governor, a Democratic woman governor, a pro-choice Democratic woman mayor of New York City and of the big five cities across the state. I would like to see more counties with increased representation of women in their county legislatures. One county, Tompkins County. Uh, which is where Ithaca is, for your listeners, they reached parity, the first county legislature to reach gender parity in 2018, I believe, and then quickly followed by that in 2019, Westchester County, uh, just north of the five boroughs, they tipped the scales and have a majority Democratic women county legislature. I'd like to see more of that
0: hmm. Yeah, here, here. Since you mentioned mandatory voting, what, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but what do you think about
1: that? Do you think you could pass it actually on the state level? Is it possible? Not in my lifetime. No, the culture of American democracy is built on denying the right to vote um, and then the ability to go do it. I mean, can you can you imagine what America could you imagine where that's a thing? Even in a state, what state would allow it? I wonder. Maybe like Maine, maybe, <laughs> but probably not even.
0: Probably not, not even sure. Maine. Yeah, I'm not either. Yeah.
1: And I say Maine because they have ranked choice voting. If people consider ranked choice voting a progressive like direction to head with how we administer our elections, they have ranked choice voting on a statewide level. So maybe they'd be a, a state that would consider mandatory, but I just don't see it happening.
0: Yeah, I think the whole point is, uh, like you said, in America, there's this idea also like, well, if I don't want to, I'm not going to. Right. So um, and if I don't like any of the choices, I'd rather not vote. Or some, I've heard also this, that I I don't want to be registered because I don't want to serve on jury duty. And I thought, oh, what? That's totally lame.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely heard those things as well. Um, But on top of that. I think that the forces at work to keep people from voting far outweigh the apathy. And I think that the apathy and disinterest is further fed by the forces at work that say, well, your vote doesn't matter anyways. The incumbent's gonna win. The candidate won't keep their promises. You know, we we downplay the significance of civic life in this country and upplay the significance of I'm not even sure what, like business life, capitalism, the market, all of those things. Right. Yeah. Well, I think
0: that's where Eleanor's legacy could be or is already so powerful, because we all know that if you're voting in a local or state election, there truly every vote counts. And so if you could turn out votes there, then you will also turn out votes later in the general and also, you know, for congressional and then presidential elections.
1: Yeah. You know, our Senate majority leader, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, she first ran for the New York State Senate in 2006. She challenged the sitting Republican incumbent. She lost by 18 votes. Wow. She came back two years later because in New York, you run for state Senate and assembly every two years, which is something also that maybe should be addressed. Mm-hmm. But she came back and she won by 1800 votes the next time. And now fast forward, she's our Senate majority leader, 18 votes, right? Like how many people could have, you know, carpooled together or asked their mom or their sister or their neighbor or whomever to go with them. It it matters. It 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 matters. matters. It matters
0: so much. So I have a question about everyday New Yorkers all over the state. I'm one of them. I am one. So as an everyday New Yorker, what are two things I could be doing to support more women candidates running and winning in New York state?
1: Become a member of Eleanor's legacy and make a contribution today. I say that seriously, but with a smile on my face. My first piece of advice that I give to every woman who attends a campaign school hosted by Eleanor's Legacy, is to sign up and subscribe to your local newspapers, your local publications, your local press, because it's so important for there to be a spotlight on what's happening in your town, your county, and, and in Albany. Because if you don't know, then how are we going to change it? Right. And these candidates are running and they're desperate for people to pay attention to them. But they're desperate for people to know that they're running for town supervisor and county legislature and they need that local press coverage. And so we need the local press to be there. And then on top of that, my second piece, piece of advice is always um, to subscribe and to follow on social media, all of your, um, local elected officials. There's some summer intern or some junior staffer who works hard on a weekly email that is sent out from your assembly member or your senator or your county legislator. There's someone who keeps up the Twitter feed. And you should get to know what your elected officials are up to. And if you're not hearing from them, if you're not getting like a weekly email, if there aren't regular press releases on legislation they're sponsoring or community events that they're hosting, you should ask yourself why. And you should ask yourself who what woman in my life is probably beyond qualified and more capable and should run for that office instead. So those are the first two things. The third is look around your life and think about the women who should run for office and encourage them to run and look in the mirror because if you don't see them in your life, maybe they're right there in the mirror looking back at you. And then of course, join Eleanor's Legacy and become a member today.
0: All good advice. So here's my last question. Looking into the future, what makes you hopeful?
1: That's a good question, Mila, because it's very, very easy and I'm very, very Irish, so it's very easy to get fatalistic and think the world is literally on fire. We haven't even come through the plague year. There are many countries and even many communities within our city that are still struggling, whether it's access to vaccines, dealing with containing the virus. All the way down to how their lives are still in an emergency because of this past year. So it's very easy to think that there's no way out, that our existence is nasty, brutish, and short. But People keep showing up. <laughs> people keep showing up to campaign school or asking when we're going to have our next one. And I shouldn't be so broad as to say people. Women keep showing up. Women are running for office. And on top of that, this is a local election year, which means in the counties outside of New York City, there are women running for town supervisor and county comptroller and county executive and town mayor. And there are women that are asking us, when does the Eleanor's Legacy endorsement process begin? Can you connect me? With with a person on your board. I have some questions about how to get my campaign started. We're even hearing from women who are launching their 2022 state Senate campaigns. The human spirit endures. When it feels like it's at its most sort of oppressive, there's always somebody who decides this is their time. Yeah, that's
0: Right, there's always someone and and that is indeed very hopeful. Thank you very much for being on Future Hindsight and thank you for all the work that you do at Eleanor's Legacy.
1: Mila, thank you for the invitation. I I hope I was able to share my enthusiasm uh, for state and local office and for New Yorkers to join us in this fight to make New York State the place that truly should be the home for what women can do. Um, We're the birthplace of it, so we deserve to be the showcase too. Yeah, you definitely did that. Thank you.
0: If you haven't been persuaded yet by the importance of local and state elections, I hope that this episode has made it abundantly clear. If there is an election that you must definitely vote in, it's for local and state office. What many people don't know, and this is especially true in New York, but also in many other places, is that the primary election often really decides the general election outcome. And finally, consider this. When Bill de Blasio was first elected as mayor of New York City in 2013, only 22% of registered Democrats voted in the primary, and only 13.4% of all eligible voters showed up on Election Day in November. Be sure you're registered and vote in the next local and state election. Next week, our guest is Amanda Littman. She's co-founder and co-executive director of Run For Something, which recruits and supports young, diverse progressives running for down-ballot office. We discuss how they go about their mission, why local and state offices are so important, and how you can get involved in our democracy.
1: Our cardinal sin in 2009, 2010 of not paying attention to state and local elections has borne out and we are now paying the consequences of that. As we have seen between the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter protests and a lot of the issues that we care about, the people who really make a difference are our local elected officials. There is so much good that can happen when you elect good people. I do think that there's still a chance to turn it around and that chance is happening today.
0: Until next time, stay engaged. I'm Mila Atmos. Thanks for listening. Our executive producer is Mila Atmos. The audio producer is Peter Fedak. And our associate producers are Miriam Zumbul and Zach Travis. Listen to us every week on Apple Podcasts, futurehindsight.com, or wherever you enjoy podcasts.